morning, everyone. If you please stand with us and sing along.
great to know that whatever you're facing today and in your life, that God is able, that he's there, he loves you, and we can trust in him.
Amen. Amen. Aren't you thankful for the goodness of God? Amen. Amen. While you're standing, will you take a moment and welcome those around you? All right, you may return to your seats, and you may be seated. Well, good morning and welcome to uh, Northside Baptist Church. We are glad that you're here to worship with us today. If this is your first time, let me extend a special welcome to you. If this is your first time, we would appreciate if you would let us know. There's a couple ways you can do that, a QR code uh, in the bulletin. You can fill out some information online or there's a Connect card um, out in the foyer uh, that you could fill out. Let me go over several announcements, and I'm going to go through them quickly. We have a parents' night out this Saturday. We are in need. Heather said we could cover it the way that it is, but we really need two more adults. So if two more adults, if you would volunteer to help out this Saturday for the parents' night out, please see Heather, and you can also still register your kids. Um, we have a wedding shower coming up, so please pay attention to that. Our homeschool families are hosting a Valentine's tea. We got a barbecue youth fundraiser coming up. Our Wednesday night Bible studies resume this Wednesday. So you want to be part of that if you're not serving. Um, sisterhood group information is there. Plus, if you have a senior who is graduating here in just a few months, there is an important announcement in the bulletin, a QR code. Um, if you will just read the bulletin and take care of that. Uh, we would greatly appreciate it. Well, this morning we have um, a special guest with us, one of our missionaries. So just as we did a couple weeks ago, if you're watching online, we're going to put up just a, an image and you're going to lose the sound for probably seven to ten minutes and then you'll be able to rejoin us. And so I'm going to wait. Are we good?
number of people who have answered that call. Uh, Lord, thank you for Rebecca, uh, somebody who just feels called to give her life to missions. Uh, it's encouraging to see younger people have a heart for the gospel, a heart for the lost, um, and a desire to, to share the truth. And so, Lord, thank you for the three years that you gave her. And, Lord, now she's in this transition period and a, a desire to go back. Lord, we pray that you will uh, open doors and provide uh, what she needs uh, so that she might be one of our IMB missionaries that we support through our generous giving and through our prayers. And, Father, always remind us that we, too, are called to go, even if it's across the road, that we are to go share the gospel. Lord, as we continue to worship together, may you be glorified and lifted high in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Let's continue to worship.
us pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for everyone in this church, Lord. We ask for your spirit to flow through everyone in here. We ask for your blessing on this tithe and offering that it will go out as your hands and feet. We just praise your holy name, all you do. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.
this time our children are going to make their way to Children's Church. We've got our pre-K three, four, and kindergarten, and then we've got our first and second graders heading to Children's Church. Everybody else, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, let me begin with just a word of apology. Last week during my sermon, on multiple occasions, I made reference to time and just hang with me a little bit longer, and the Lord convicted me of that, and then my wife lovingly corrected me and said, you got to stop worrying about time and how long you preach, and so uh, I'm not going to talk about time anymore. You just listen until the Lord tells me to be done, and then we'll be done, and um, there's nothing more important than preaching God's Word, and uh, I apologize uh, that sometimes maybe I don't make that clear enough. First Peter chapter 2. Hopefully you have your copy of God's Word. We're going to be in verses 18 through 23. First Peter chapter 2 verses 18 through 23. Would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word? This is the Word of the Lord. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when... Mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. You may be seated. Howard Hendricks tells a story about a time that he was on an airplane and there was a very long delay on the tarmac. A man sitting near him grew very impatient and eventually began to give the flight attendant all kinds of trouble and attitude. Hendricks watched his flight attendant respond with grace and helpfulness every single time. Hendricks was so amazed by the woman's professionalism that he remained in his seat while everyone deplaned just so he could personally thank her. He said something like, ma'am, please tell me your name so I can write to your airline and commend you for your wonderful performance today. She kindly responded, thank you, sir, but I don't work for the airline." I work for Jesus Christ. Mic drop right there. (laughs) I work for Jesus Christ. Here was a born-again follower of Jesus Christ that I believe would have understood that she is in exile, that this is not her permanent home, that she belongs to the kingdom of God, and therefore, as a citizen, as a believer of Jesus Christ and of his kingdom, everything she does is for his glory. She understands that she is to be like Jesus and to live like Jesus and to live for Jesus in every area of her life, including while she was a flight attendant and in all circumstances, even to rude passengers. She is a representative of King Jesus. If we are to live like Jesus, to be like Jesus, and to live for Jesus, then Peter wants us to understand this means even submitting to proper authority. 
that we're in this section right now where Peter's talking about submitting to proper authority. We talked last week, authority is ordained of God. God has ultimate authority. He gives human institutions authority, and we are to submit to those authorities. Yes, that even includes governors and emperors and the authorities he's put in place. And as we'll see this morning, it even means you submit when there's unjust authority, and you are even treated unjustly. Now, I want you to notice four things from our text. Number one, I want you to notice our command. We don't have any notes this morning on the screen, but I want you to notice the command. Here's how Peter begins. Servants, be subject, that is, come under, come in line with, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Peter addresses servants. Typically, that Greek word is doulos, bondservant. Here, it's a different Greek word. It refers to household slaves. The reality of the first century Christian is that slavery was a dominant social structure in the Roman Empire at the time of the New Testament. Listen to Juan Sanchez as he writes uh, kind of a summary. He says, we need to realize that Peter is writing into a first century context, not a 21st century one. In both Britain and colonial America, slaves were kidnapped and then bought and sold as personal property. Slaves were not only mistreated, many were abused and sometimes even killed. That slavery in Britain and colonial America was a race-based slavery, based upon the color of your skin. It wasn't that way in first century. In the Roman Empire, during the first century, slavery was a little bit different. Slaves were often well-educated. They might have served as physicians or tutors to children. Though it was difficult, slaves had the opportunity to buy their freedom. He goes on to write this. Don't get me wrong. Slavery was never desirable. The New Testament nowhere affirms slavery. It merely regulates an existing societal structure. Peter's concern here is not upholding slavery, but the importance of maintaining a faithful gospel witness within the structured orders of that society. The fact that slaves are included in this household code is radical in and of itself. First century household codes address masters. They never dealt with slaves. And yet Peter is dealing with servants. By including slaves in his household code, Peter elevated slaves to a place of dignity. Because of Christ, there's no longer any distinction between slave and free. They are both one in Christ. The reality is that many to whom Peter is writing, Christians, were currently or once were slaves. They were in slavery, many of them born into slavery. And though some of them would have been doctors, teachers, managers, musicians, the reality is they are under control, under the control of a master. The word here is despot. It means absolute ownership or uncontrolled power. Slaves were never seen as persons. They were seen as things. Some of them had good and gentle masters, but others had unjust masters. That word means harsh, crooked, evil. These slaves to whom Peter is writing to physically had no rights, no legal rights, but now they know in Christ they're free. So what are they to do? 
In Christ, I'm free, but I'm under the absolute control of a master. What do I do? Will Peter tell them to revolt? Will Peter tell them to run away? Will Peter tell them to overthrow the system? No. What Peter tells them is to submit. Listen, Peter is not saying slavery is good. He's not saying that. Peter is not saying it's wrong to seek your freedom if it's available to you. He's not saying that. But what if freedom isn't an option? I mean, after all, they're free in Christ, but they're still enslaved to an earthly master. What are they to do? Peter says, submit, even to unjust masters. Now, just a quick side. Many people get angry. They get angry with Paul and Peter, and they say, listen, why don't they condemn slavery? Why don't they just come right out and say, overthrow the slavery that dominates the Roman Empire? So why wouldn't he do that? Well, you got to understand their context. The church is growing, yes, but it's still very small compared to the Roman Empire. You also have to understand that Christians are the hated minority. Not only are they the minority, but they're hated. They're hated. You also have to understand they do not have the power nor the position to overthrow slavery. If Peter writes and says, overthrow slavery, they will all get killed. They don't have the power nor the, the, the position to do it. So what does Paul, what does Peter, what do people like William Wilberforce and others, what do they understand? Here's how you overthrow slavery. Yes, by laws, and we are in a position where you can do that. They weren't. How do you do it? You change and abolish slavery, one transformed slave's heart at a time, one transformed master's heart at a time. If enough people are changed and give their life to Jesus, what happens? Well, what happens in Rome? Slavery eventually falls apart. It's abolished. It's done away with. So here's what, here's what they do. They begin to live differently. And so Peter says, listen, I know you don't want to be slaves any longer, but you don't have any control of that. So just honor Jesus even in this incredibly hard season of your life. Submit to their masters, even the unjust ones. Now, how does that apply to us today? Slavery is a sin. Slavery is to be condemned. But God doesn't condemn people working for other people. So most commentary sermons you look at will take this and they apply it to us by looking at the employee-employer relationship. Like you are under the authority if you work of somebody or you have authority over other people. So I think the application to us is this. Just as Peter tells them in their context to submit, not only to the good and gentle, but also the unjust, the reality is you need to submit to the authority God has placed in your life. Even, even the unjust, cruel boss. If that's where you are, then you have to submit. And you have to understand you work for Christ ultimately and not the boss. So that's the command. Number two, the promise. You're like, well, man, that's, that's hard to do. So what's the promise? Verse 19, for this is a gracious thing. That word grace is the word charis, right? It means grace, but it can also mean reward, favor. Reward or favor. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. That is when your conscience is aware of who God is and set on him in his ways. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, listen to this, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Peter introduces a theological category here that a lot of Christians simply don't have uh, accurately understood. And that is of righteous suffering. 
That is, that there will be times you suffer unjustly. You suffer even though you've done nothing wrong. So Peter continues, For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? If you disrespect the master, if you disobey the master, he's going to beat you. He's unjust. You know that. It's no credit for that. It's no credit. So if you, children, disobey your parents and they ground you, For not doing something, you can't say, it's unfair. I'm being treated unjustly. No, you disobeyed. With that comes a consequence. But what does he say? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. What credit is it if you lose your job at work because you're always showing up late? Or you got a poor work ethic? Or you lack quality in your work? Or you got a bad attitude and the boss fires you? You can't say, unjust, what about my rights? No, you got what you deserved. But, Peter says, it's a gracious thing if you do good and suffer for it. It's a gracious thing in the sight of God. Listen, in our fallenness, we just want to fight back. We want to fight back. We want to strike against authorities. We want to protest, complain. We want to be submissive. But the reality is sometimes we suffer even when we do the right thing. And Peter is saying, listen, God will give you the grace in those moments. When doing the right thing, you still suffer. God will give you the grace. God will see. God will help you endure. And God will reward you. So for the slave, some of them would be mistreated. Some of them would be beat. Not because they did anything wrong, but simply because of their faith in Jesus. Maybe their master worshipped other gods and didn't want them worshipping Jesus. And Peter says, you may be treated unjustly, but endure. Here's the reality. Some of you will suffer. Some of you will endure hardships. Some of you will endure the loss of a job, the mistreatment of a boss, not because you've done anything wrong, but simply for being a follower of Christ. You're mindful of God. You're living out your faith. You work hard. You don't go out after hours and participate in all the ungodly behavior that may lead to somebody else getting a promotion because they know the boss better. It means you may Refuse to cut corners or be dishonest, and therefore you'll endure suffering and hardship. Here's the good news if you're walking through that right now. God sees. God will provide you the grace to endure. And God will bless you and reward you, even for suffering when you do the right thing. That's the promise. So hold on and endure. He's encouraging these slaves. Third, notice the calling. For to this you have been called. Listen really carefully, just in case you have a faulty understanding here. Many Christians wrongly think, if I live a righteous and good life, then I won't suffer. Some Christians think righteousness and suffering are incompatible. So if I'm suffering, it's because I'm not good enough. If I'm going through these difficult times, it means God must be disappointed in me and I'm not righteous enough. So to avoid suffering, I need more righteousness. Maybe some of you in your mind, because you were never taught appropriately and rightly, you have no theological category for righteous suffering. But I gave my life to Jesus. Why am I suffering? What does Peter say? For to this you have been called. What is this pointing to? It's pointing back. What's he referring to? If you do good and suffer... That's what you've been called to. You have been called to righteous suffering. Hear me. 
You, by way of coming to Jesus, have been called to a life of suffering. I love what Thomas Schreiner writes. He says, suffering is not a detour by which believers receive the inheritance to which they are called. Go back to the beginning of this letter. Peter says, you've been born again to a living hope. You have an eternal inheritance stored up for you, kept in heaven for you. Here's what some of us think. All right, I've given my life to Jesus. I'm on the road to eternity. We're just going to coast. We're going to coast. And all of a sudden, suffering comes. And we're like, God must be thinking, oh, you need a detour. We're going to have to go this way, but I'll get you back to the path of no suffering. That is not what Scripture teaches. I love what Shriner writes. He says, suffering is God's appointed means for receiving the inheritance. You want the inheritance? It's going to require you to go through suffering. Suffering in this life. Hardships in this life to get to the inheritance. I was reading this week of the story in Luke chapter 6 where Jesus sends the disciples on ahead of him and he stays back for a little bit. Talks about how they get out in the boat, they start going across the waters and the winds start picking up and that's the moment when Jesus comes just not, not in his little boat, he just comes strolling along walking on water. It's amazing. He calms the storm. It's awesome. But at the beginning of that text, paraphrasing it basically saying Jesus put them in the boat and sent them ahead. Now, did Jesus know a storm was going to come? He knew a storm was going to come. Jesus led them right into the storm. Now, he knew he was going to come along at just the right moment, but he led them into the storm. Listen, suffering is hard. It's not easy, but suffering is sometimes necessary. Suffering purifies us. It humbles us, and it causes us to be dependent upon God. Listen, if you have been in Wednesday night prayer meetings over the last three months, you have heard me be vulnerable and pour out my heart. If you don't know, we've gone through a season of fostering that actually just came to an end. If you don't know that, this past Thursday when the boys for various reasons beyond our control were relocated to a new home. I've shared openly and honestly, look, I want you to hear my heart. I know there are people in this room who are going through a lot worse than we went through. I need you to hear me when I say that. I, I am not trying to trivialize your suffering, but here's what I'm telling you from my heart to yours. The last three months have been the hardest three months of my life. Because God, for whatever reason, has spared my family through going through suffering. There has been many tears shed. There have been many nights of struggling, of battling. Thursday night, I laid in my bed after the boys were gone and got so upset with myself at the number of times I got frustrated and failed over three months. The number of times I stepped up to this pulpit in three months, empty, just beaten down. And I did have somebody tell me Tuesday that was so encouraging, who's been doing this for two years, who said, that's the hardest case I've seen, which made me feel a little bit better that I wasn't exaggerating. But I'm going to tell you this, still, still struggling. I'm struggling right now. Just my, my heart, my mind, I'm just going to tell you, it's, it's divided right now. I'm just being honest with you. But I can tell you this, three months later, my relationship with my wife has never been stronger. My resolve and my faith in Jesus has never been stronger. Did I ask for it? Did I say, God, I want to foster and I want it to be really, really hard? I don't think I prayed that once. <laughs> but God said, hey, you've signed up for this, but I've got some stuff I need to teach you. 
Pastor, I got to humble you. I got to purify you. You're going to go through some really hard times, but I will be with you every step of the way. Can I just brag on you for a moment? You guys have been absolutely amazing, and you need to hear that. Ryan was talking to her mom yesterday. It's hard. You have family. You've seen your kids go through some stuff. And some of you have been right there, and some of you have been hours away. We're six hours away from family. we got no family here. All they can go on is conversations and tears and grieving. And Ryan's mom said yesterday how hard it's been to be six hours away. But the one thing that has comforted her is she knew we had a family in a village here. That we weren't walking through this alone. But that you were loving on us and fixing us meals and praying for us. And you did that for them, for us. That's the family of God and that is the beauty of God. Even in suffering, he shows himself faithful. Amen? Amen. You're called to suffer. You're not exempt from that. Why? Because you're called to this. But then he gives us another reason. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. Christ suffered for you. Jesus is the master. The student isn't above the teacher or the master. So if Jesus suffered, you'll suffer. Jesus said they hated me before they'll hate you. Like we're not exempt from that. But then look what it says. Leaving you an example. I love this. The Greek word for example is a word that refers to the letters children would trace in order to learn to write. You remember that? Tracing those letters A, this is how you do an A, B, right? It becomes a pattern that you follow and then you just begin to do it. Listen, Jesus is the pattern that we trace or follow. We want to follow him. Look what he says. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. We walk where Jesus walked. And where did Jesus walk? It was a, it was a walk of suffering. Unjustly, but he suffered. Now, what Peter goes on to do for verses 22 through 25 is he goes on to draw from Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, the prophecy of Isaiah that talks about the Messiah. We call this the suffering servant. And so he quotes multiple times from there. And here's what I want you to see as we look at the last part of verse 23. What you'll notice is that Jesus, the suffering servant, is both our example and our Savior. Now, hear me. Jesus cannot be your example until he is first your Savior. He tells us he's the example. He's going to go on to talk about how he is our Savior and the death upon the cross. So what what does Peter say about the suffering servant to Christ? Verse 22, he committed no sin, no sin found in Jesus. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Look at verse 23, and I wonder if Peter, as the Spirit's prompting him, didn't put down his writing utensil. And go back to that night when Jesus was arrested. And the garden, when they come up and Jesus takes out the sword, or Peter takes out the sword, and Jesus is like, come on, man, put that away. Peter's ready to go to war for Jesus. And then Peter, as he follows from a distance, I wonder how much Peter got to witness the, the spitting and the mocking and the abusing and the beatings that Jesus endured. And I wonder if Peter is not remembering that night when he writes... When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Here it is. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Notice two things here that Jesus does. Number one, notice the submissiveness to the Father's will. It says he continued entrusting himself. 
That word means to hand himself over to the Father. He just keeps over and over and over handing himself over to the Father. Listen, Jesus suffered unjustly. It was a corrupt trial with trumped up charges. And he knew it. And hear me, he could have done something about it. Oftentimes we're powerless to deal with injustice. Not Jesus. He could have called 10,000 angels. He could have showed his greatest demonstration of the power of God in that moment and killed all of them and escaped the cross. But that was not the Father's will for him. So he doesn't threaten. He doesn't revile. Listen, you have rights. You have rights in the 21st century that Christian slaves didn't have. If you suffer injustice, you, as a human being who has a right, can go through the legal system. There was no recourse for them. They weren't people. They were things. They couldn't call up an attorney. They couldn't write a newspaper article. There was nothing that they could do about it. You could appeal to the legal system. And sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes if you're in an abusive relationship and there's no, no repentance, you got to get out. You don't stay there and let an abusive husband beat on you. right? If, you're, if your father's abusing you, you, don't, you just don't take that. There's recourse. There's actions to take. You, you can go through a union or to your job, human resources. You can deal with these things, and sometimes that's necessary. But listen, as Christians, we should be known as men and women who submit to the Father's will and live our lives to please Him. Everything we do should be for His glory and His honor. So on Friday... I was up in Sharpsburg, and I was driving back to Noonan, and I got a phone call from um, Betty Finger's grandson. And just in case you don't know, Mr. Don Finger, a member uh, at Northside for many years, passed away on Friday morning. And the visitation is tomorrow from 12 to 2 here at the church, and the funeral is at 2. Heard many wonderful things about Don, an incredible man. And so I'm heading to Noonan right when I get the phone call, so I was able to stop right there um, at Sacred Journey Hospice, and I go in and and just a couple people in the room, and I got to pray with him. And on the way out, I just felt the Spirit of God prompting me to stop by the little foyer there where two ladies were sitting who worked for them. And I just, I just walked up to them and said, ladies, I just want to thank you. My mom spent a couple years um, doing social work for hospice. The rest of those years, she spent in a hospital. Look, if you're in the hospital, social work, or at hospice, listen, you are with families in their greatest need. And they don't know next steps. You have to help them go through all of that. When you're at hospice, you're often with the patient in their dying last breath. Like this is an absolutely hard but important job. And they do it so well. So I just said, ladies, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for just being here, for loving on these people. Both ladies smiled. And then one of the ladies spoke up and said, this. It's definitely a calling. And then she said, and I'm all about his will. You understand how that mentality changes everything you do? Dads, moms, do you understand if you in your heart begin to really grasp that the only person you ultimately answer to is King Jesus and you want to love your children and parent them in a way that honors him, how freeing that is, how different you live? Husbands, wives, do you understand that? Do you understand when you go to work tomorrow, you don't have to walk in as hard as it may be, as stressful and as challenging as it may be, you don't have to walk in with the mentality, I'm just here to punch the time card to get a paycheck. That's a miserable way to live your life. But you can actually walk in. Say, all right, King Jesus, I belong to you in your kingdom. 
I'm here temporarily for however long you want me at this job. So when I walk in today, I can make a difference because I'm ultimately about your will and your glory. And you live all of your life that way. Why? Because you are trusting in the Father's will. That's what Jesus did. But then it says this, entrusting himself to him who judges justly. The second thing I want you to notice is confidence in his Father's righteous judgment. His righteous judgment. How does Peter begin this section? Talking about unjust masters. How does he end? Talking about the just Father. So here's the reality. Some of you right now, in this room or watching online, you, you have endured extreme suffering from the hands of a cruel and abusive father or a controlling mother, a husband, maybe even a wife, an uncle, a pastor, a boss, or a friend. You right now have experienced trauma. You've experienced pain. It was unjust. It was cruel. It was wicked and ungodly. And to this day, though maybe it happened years ago, it still consumes you. Every morning when you wake up, it defines you. You are bitter. You are angry. You are filled with rage. It has led to multiple broken relationships. You cannot forgive. You cannot move on. And it has led to a victim mentality. And maybe you have even personally sought out vengeance. Jesus, when facing unjust cruelty, when facing death by crucifixion at the hands of ungodly false accusations, what does he do? He puts his confidence in his Father who judges justly. Listen, some of us don't have a category for righteous suffering. Some of you also don't have a category for what I'm about to say. And that is this. Every single person and every single act will be judged by God Almighty. Every single act. Every person will give an account for every deed. No ungodly act will go unpunished. Sometimes, thankfully, the legal system works correctly and justice is served here on earth. But there are times when justice is not served. Where a wrong is unpunished. But hear me. In the sight of God, every sin, every wicked deed will be punished in either one of two ways. And this is where some people struggle. Either God will punish them in hell for all eternity, experiencing God's condemnation and wrath. So consider Jesus. He's there. He's being spit upon and mocked and beaten. Jesus knows in that moment what's about to happen. And here's what he knows. Every single one of these men who do not repent, are going to spend an eternity in hell for their sin. Every one of them. Jesus knows that. Or, or Jesus knows this, that he's about to go to the cross. And he's about to lay down his life for the sins of people. And that if a man punches Jesus in the face and then comes to confess that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah and the Savior of the world, that that man who punched Jesus in the face will either experience God's wrath in hell or Jesus will take his wrath upon himself and will die in his place. Now, some people have a problem with that. Wait a minute. 
You're telling me that God can forgive the sins of this person who have taken everything from me. You mean God can possibly cover their sins, forgive them, restore them, and bring healing to me all at the same time? So let me say again, Jesus can't be your example until he is first your Savior. You say, how could God do that? How can I turn this over to Jesus and just trust God to judge justly when they deserve God's wrath and judgment? So let me turn it on me. What do I deserve? I told you I sat in the bed Thursday night fighting back tears. Jesus, I hope I accurately represented you before these three boys, but I know the number of times I got frustrated, raised my voice, maybe lost my cool. You see, what I deserved is the judgment and condemnation of a wrath God. The last thing I deserved is to be forgiven by Jesus. That's what I deserved, but God, but Christ. I reviled him. I cursed him. I've blasphemed against him, and yet by his grace, even I can be, can, can be forgiven and spend an eternity in heaven. So listen, if your attacker, your accuser, your cruel boss doesn't repent and believe, God says it in Romans, vengeance is mine. Let God handle them. Let God deal with them. You need to give it to the Lord. It's broken you, I get that, but day after day, you entrust yourself to the will of God and his sovereign judgment that though they may never get punished here, God will take care of it. And if they come to repentance and faith in Jesus, then you will spend all eternity in heaven with them. And God has done the same for you by his grace. Let me, let me close this way. I am absolutely shocked and appalled by the amount of videos I see today of people who lose their minds over every small inconvenience. Y'all see these, man, social media is just filled with them. Somebody in a McDonald's because their cheeseburger was wrong, like throwing their cups, screaming and cursing. The amount of road rage that's taking place Right, The amount of, some of you are pilots, some of you work for the airline, the amount of videos you see on a plane, somebody just losing their mind mid-flight while it's on the top, just going crazy. Just everybody right now is always like, you offended me, you hurt me, and so I'm going to get mine, and they just lash out. I love what Warren Wearsby writes, and we'll close this way. Anybody can fight back. If you have been hurt, wronged, listen, it's really easy to fight back. It's really easy to take vengeance. It's really easy to say, I will refuse to forgive you, refuse to submit to you. That's where the slaves were. They could have done it. I'm free in Christ. I'm out of here. I refuse. Anybody can fight back. Warren Wearsby writes this. It takes a spirit-filled Christian to submit and let God fight his battles. God knows right now what you're going through. God knows if you're dealing with an unjust boss or an unfortunate circumstance or you're going through suffering. God knows right where you are. Either you're going to fight 
but you're going to submit to his will. You're going to trust in his sovereign, good, just judgment. And you're going to say, God, you fight the battles. I'm just going to stand for Jesus Christ. However hard it may be, I'm just going to understand who I am. And day after day after day, I just want to live for King Jesus. I want to work for King Jesus. I want to love for King Jesus. Listen, that's what the world needs. That's what the world needs. They need more men and women who are less concerned about fighting for their own rights and more concerned about the glory of God. Sometimes that means you'll suffer unjustly, but God hasn't forgotten you. God is right there with you. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you, Lord, just desperate for just desperate for your grace, desperate for your forgiveness, desperate for your kindness, desperate for your cleansing. Lord, we're sinners. We're sinners who are in desperate need of your grace. And God, this room is filled with people who have been hurt. They've suffered unjustly. Just like those slaves of the first century, they found themselves in a circumstance that they were powerless to do anything about. At the hands of these despots, these masters, some masters good and kind and just, others evil and wicked. They found themselves under this Emperor Nero who began to persecute many Christians and they were powerless to do anything about it. Lord, thankfully today in 21st century America, we have more We have more rights and more power than they would have had. But even then, Lord, sometimes we suffer. And the reality is that suffering either makes us more like Christ, or we've all seen it far too often, it leads us to a place of bitterness and anger where we simply cannot forgive, and that hinders our fellowship and community with you. And Lord, here's the reality. We're not strong enough to do anything about that. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit. We need the work of the Holy Spirit to cause us, to bring us to a place of surrender and confession and repentance. And Lord, I pray for those who are currently in difficult situations with jobs or with bosses or maybe a husband that is not a believer, a spouse that's not a believer, a father who's not acting like a father should. Lord, we pray for your comfort, your strength. Help them endure. Remind them that you see. You just call them to be faithful. And Lord, you'll provide for them. You'll sustain them in those moments. Lord, as we worship, Lord, may we focus upon Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's just worship together. If you need to come to the altar and pray, as always, the altar is open. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more in heaven now to give he is my joy my righteousness and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace to this i hold my hope is only jesus for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can see. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ 
through me makes me think of mr don finger and he's ran his race and uh 
he said, if you'll be at the service tomorrow, I'll say the same, same thing. But he told Betty, he said, hey, when people gather for my funeral, I don't want the pastor talking about me. He said, everybody there already knows me. I want him talking about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's all about Christ. Live our lives that way. Let us die that way. It's all about Jesus Christ. Pastor Gary, if you'll come, he's going to conclude our service by leading us as we quote from the Great Commission. Uh, come back tonight. Uh, we got all our normal um, activities. So if you'll remain standing. All right. Let's all say it in unison, please. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Lipsint.